Hello, everybody. That was like Elvis. I know. I feel like I'm in a celebrity room. Elvis has left the building. And Father Peter is here. I wish you could all see how big Father Peter's hair is today. Dude, it's big. He, I walked in. He's like, I just woke up like this. But he's, you've clearly spent I, some time. Dude, you know what? He's puffing see, it up. I wish you woke up and it looked like that. It's just so big. Well, well so big. Welcome to the Word on the Hill. <laughs> <laughs> this is we are the Linky Guys. My name is Scott Powell, and I'm Father Peter Musset. And I did my hair especially for you today, Scott, because I knew that you had been traveling to the Vocations Directors Conference. Mm. Um, and that you needed you needed a little spice in your life to just bring bring you to a greater place of awareness and awakeness. Yeah, no, that that's good. Yeah, I uh, I just returned from um, St. Louis. Saint, meet me in St. Louis, Louis. Meet yeah, me. That's, that's okay. So I was in St. Louis um, <laughs> at the the uh, the NCDVD conference. NCDVD. Rolls right off the tongue. The National Cap. No, the National Diocesan. Wait, vocation National Catholic Diocesan Vocations Directors Conference. <laughs> NCDVDC? No, NCDVD. C. What did I do? NC. Oh shoot! Now I'm anyway. NCDVD. It was the, it was the national conference for uh, diocesan vocations, and they were actually vocations directors from all over the country and different orders as well. Oh, cool! Misleading title. It was. It was really neat. Um, thanks to Rose Sullivan out there who who puts all this together. She is one of the most important people in the church. I want to give a shout out to. Um, any of the priests, uh, there, there was mentioned in my introduction that uh, we host this podcast and that is helpful, quote unquote, for priests who um, <laughs> are preparing their omelets. <laughs> so any of the priests who were out there at the at the Vocations Director Conference, um, here's a shout out to you guys. Thank you for all your work. Thank you for spending yeah. your week in St. Louis. Amen. Um, really learning how to do your jobs better. So uh, thanks to all you guys and, and to the guys who you minister to. Yeah, I was just thinking, man, recruitment for uh, a bunch of guys is... I mean, you're gay, the Marine recruiters have nothing on you guys. Seriously. I mean, Marine recruiters, they got they have like, I don't know, like medals and stuff, but you but you guys have holiness. <laughs> this, is, this is the thing is that there's a little bit of a difference between like medals, a fancy haircut, which they high and tight. I mean, some of, tight, some dude. of the, some of the vocations directors also have high and tight haircuts. An awful lot of them. Yeah, man, that, that's because that's because they know that they're recruiting for the true battle. A lot of the vocations director I had to notice uh, were former military. I don't know if there's, you know, what the correlation there is, but it's just reality. You know what the reality in the church is? What? Is that it's former military guys mm. recruiting engineers. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I always, I was always struck. I mean, I, I never really did any kind of study into this, but I always, I've always been kind of struck by how many. Um, engineers end up priests. Part, I th- That's but, fair. but this is my theory. Okay. okay, if the vocations directors are listening to me right now, they're all like wagging their heads, like, "Please stop talking. You have to stop. <laughs> you have to stop promulgating such insanity." Oh. But this is the thing. <laughs> but you're not going to. But I'm not going. Okay. Um, is that I think that uh, the engineers are uh, start to become priests because they actually have to be rooted in the real. Absolutely. That's what Annie in my talk was about. The, the reality that we have to root these guys back in. Oh, sorry. I just stole your thunder. No. No, you didn't steal my thunder. I was giving you a lead-in, dude. Oh, yes. But yeah, the idea that we, we can't stay, just uh, even as disciples of Jesus, we can't stay in the cerebral. We have to go out. This is what this is what Pope Francis's environmental document was all about. It's really not about environmental stuff. That's the, that's the, the um, not the catalyst, the... Uh, Context? The, the foil. It's not, it's not a foil. That sounds trite. But 
But, this is the context that he's using to say we need to root ourselves back in reality and understand our place in the world, the humility of that, the fact that we're not God, and the fact that we actually have a job to do. We, our job is to be holy and mindful, and so we, you know, we need to get these these folks back which, in the world. Which, honestly, actually, if you guys want to have a peek behind the curtain on the myth- methodology of the Lanky guys and mm. Catholic stuff, you should know. Mm. Father Michael O'Loughlin, by the way, was there. Shout out to you. Who's the co-host? Olo. Stuff. He is the been apparently the vocations director of his eparchy of the uh, Byzantine Catholic Church in this part of the country yeah. for ten years. Yeah, for that's f- awfully f- cool. Phoenix eparchy. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, thank you all. Oh, yeah, yeah. But this is the thing: is that the, the secret methodology that we use is that we're actually talking in concrete ways about a scripture that oftentimes can be so abstracted, yes, and and not actually real. And yes, so, correct. Um, so we're a little bit concrete, or uh, some people may say dense. <laughs> well, it depends on what you mean by the word. <laughs> That's the key. Yeah. Um, but the, the, uh, this is the thing, man. Why do I have so many ideas? Oh, I know I why. Because you've had coffee and a Red Bull and a cookie. Yeah, dude. This uh, and it's eight thirty in the morning. So yeah. or not 9 anymore. 15, Nine fifteen <laughs> in the morning, dude. Times are wasting. I see. Yeah. So yeah. speaking of times, speaking of times are wasting. It is the twenty fifth Sunday of ordinary time, and um, our readings. Our first reading today is coming from the book of Wisdom, chapter two, verse twelve, jumping all the way to verse seventeen through twenty. Our psalm is 54 we have this strophical <laughs> oh hold on hold on hold on hold on before we even get into the song oh my gosh thank you everybody for a thousand likes yes and your reward is coming soon oh and you are gonna enjoy it but the mystery will remain for one extra week yes yes some of you might already know what we're thinking ah. but you keep it to yourselves you shut your holes your word hole <laughs> All right. Okay. 54. um, uh, Three through eight broken up in some sort of random (laughs) way (laughs) with with 6B being the verse. Correct. All right. Our second reading is from James chapter three, verse 16 through four, verse three. Uh, Getting into our gospel, Mark 9, 30 to 37. Yeah, very good. It's it's funny. Whenever I go to conferences like this, I meet people who say they listen to the podcast, and then it just terrifies me to no end. When I think about certain people and their faces listening, I just see all of them shaking their heads. So now I'm super nervous today. Oh, dude, but what you, are you going to do? Hey, I just think about press the, on. when I went to the Seek conference, I was mm-hmm. always like, I, I like I looked out at the amount of people that were there at a single moment, and I'm like, that's how many people download our podcast at once. Oh, for Pete's sake! I know, and 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 I just think I think what it would be like if we were on a stage in front of everybody right now. And I, I imagine just, them all leaving it on like as white noise for their dogs when they go to work. Like that's where the downloads are all coming from. Like, I'm just going to turn this on. To... <laughs> so, so we start in wisdom. That was a weird image. <laughs> it really was, was, okay, so I we like that. Yeah, so wisdom. We've talked about wisdom before. Um, just, let's no, refresh on it, though, let's man. Because I, I don't remember what you said about wisdom. The the book of wisdom is one of those that we call the one of the deuterocanonicals. So the book of wisdom doesn't actually appear in our Protestant friends' Bibles. It's funny. This morning, I went, I clicked on my Lincoln Verbum, which is excellent software. You should go to verbum.com and I and I check thought it out. that uh, for just a second, I thought that was a new kind of car. Have you driven the new Lincoln Verbum? <laughs> Word so smooth. <laughs> Word. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Your so, link so, in Verbum. So I the software program. So what happens is that as in the lectionary section, I uh, have it set up. I, I've I've created. We call it, that the lection section. Lection section. 
I click I clicked the link and uh, and it'll open it up in the original language. And really? so I was going wow. I was going through and I was like, oh, I want to check out wisdom in Hebrew. I mean, that's also because it was seven yeah. in, seven in the morning. And so I clicked on the link and it was supposed to open up in the Hebrew and it opened up in the Greek. And I was like, oh, that's why. Ain't no such thing as the Hebrew of the of the wisdom. Mm-hmm. Wisdom, the Book of Wisdom, was probably compiled somewhere around the, the time of the Maccabees. It's actually being compiled probably right around the time that the Septuagint was coming together. So very, very, very quick crash course on why Catholic Bibles are thicker than Protestant Bibles. Um, you, you probably heard this term. We just use it, the Deuterocanonicals. Deutero, of course, means second, right? There is something called the Proto-Canon, or Proto-Canonical books, which was the original books of the Old Testament, which were... Um, I know the number of them is is escaping me just because I obviously whenever you plan to say something you'll forget. But uh, the Old Testament, but so so during just prior to the time of the Maccabees, so during the Greek Empire, uh, the Greek king who was sitting at the time, this is, we're probably around 200 BC, somewhere give or, t- give or take. The Greeks decided to establish this library in Alexandria in Egypt. So many of you have probably heard of the, the Alexandrian Library, which had has subsequently burned, unfortunately, and so we lost this. But the idea was the Greeks wanted to get all of human wisdom, all of the known wisdom of the world, all of culture, um, you know, the religious writings, the wisdom of all of these different cultures, bring them together, translate them into Greek, and have them in one kind of home where people of the world can come and, and search and learn the world's wisdom. It's a, it's a brilliant idea. Here, here's an here's an aside. There's a, of there's, course a, there's an aside. There's a project called, uh, called archive.org. Okay. Where this guy he was thinking he's like, oh my gosh, I wonder if we could get absolutely every single book, every single movie, every single song, every single internet piece, chat, everything that has ever been recorded into uh, seven locations, uh, mirrored locations on the earth in digital format. And one of the locations is, is in Alexandria. Well, that, that's appropriate. That makes sense. That's cool. I haven't heard about that. Yeah, archive.org is a really interesting and weird place. It sounds like it. So you're, this, your life is an interesting and weird place. Hey. And not so, in a bad way. Yeah, so, 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 so there were 70 Jewish elders, which was where we get the word Septuagint, Septuagint, who went up to Alexandria in Egypt to translate the whole Old Testament into Greek. Um. That is really the heart of what is today the Jewish Old Testament and the Protestant Old Testament. Now, the problem with that is that stuff like the story of Maccabees hasn't happened yet. Sirach hasn't been put together yet. Tobit hasn't hasn't happened. God wasn't quite done with what he was doing. So after the Bible was translated into Greek, salvation history moves on. It keeps going. Right. So part of the problem, part of the reason why Protestant Bibles don't have these books is that at one point, Martin Luther looked back and he said, wait a second, I don't think the Catholic Bible is quite correct. And I think instead we should go back to what our Jewish brothers and sisters are actually using for their scriptures. We, we, should, we could call it a proto-resource mod. It is a proto-resource mod, if any of you know any of those words. But, yeah. but the idea was... Um, but but it, but an incorrect one that that take a, t- took a presumption that said the only thing valid was in Hebrew. Well, and that's what that was the Jewish understanding. So not until two or three hundred A.D. did the Jewish people finally put their canon of scripture together. Because in Jesus' time, it was fairly fluid. There were books that some Jews were reading, some Jews weren't reading them. And then finally, by about 300, really in in response to Christianity and the Christian canon, 
the Jewish people, the Hebrew leaders, elders said, okay, we need to put together a canon of scripture as well and define once and for all, what are the Hebrew scriptures? And they said, okay, not that we're discounting books like Maccabees and wisdom and all those things, because they're fundamentally Jewish books. They're fine. They're good. They're true. But for our canon, our scriptures, we're only going to include books that were in the original Hebrew. And there were other criteria as well. But of course, Maccabees wasn't written in Hebrew. It was written in Greek. Uh, Wisdom of Solomon, that brings us back to this, was probably a bunch of the wisdom literature that was brought together and compiled and taken down to paper when those 70 elders were up in Alexandria. So we only have a Greek version of it. So again, the irony of this is that our Jewish brothers and sisters who celebrate Hanukkah, the only mention of Hanukkah in the entire Bible is in the book of Maccabees. And the book of Maccabees is not in Jewish scriptures. So the irony is that the only mention of Maccabee or of, of Hanukkah is not in any Jewish scripture. So it's oral tradition. So it, it's a confusing situation, but Martin Luther looked back and he's like, well, wait a second, we should go off of what our Jewish brothers and sisters have because they're where our faith has come from. But I don't know whether he was malicious or just mistaken in the idea that, okay, that, that's actually not the best route to go down because for one reason, Jesus was reading these other books. Jesus is quoting Sirach. He quotes wisdom and, and some of these other deuterocanonical books, so he's clearly reading them. Um, so that's kind of where it comes from. That's a very, very short which is which is the story con- of why why they don't have them. That's the historical context, and and uh, and actually the other thing. But we how ha- we have to remember as we get into wisdom, is that it's this kind of strange amalgamation of a bunch of different things. And as we look today, it, it really links us back to last week as we're we're seeing kind of a suffering servant. Like, but this time the perspective from the suffering servant. Uh, is this moment of of a group of people going like, mm, let's make him suffer. Like it's actually a bunch of people yeah. who are kind of convinced that the world is good. Like like they're worldly people. And yes. and, and if you go and you read Wisdom chapter two, it's yeah. uh it's it's kind of intense, you know? They're they're like they're like we're gonna actually they sound like hippies, actually. Do you think so? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, but, not in our reading. Not in our oh, reading. Oh, today. okay. I think I'm in our reading. No, like the, yeah, they're, I see what you're they're, saying. they're kind of like nihilistic hippies. Like it says, like um, short and sorrowful is our life, and there's no remedy for death. Um, so let the body's going to turn to ashes, and the spirit's going to dissolve, and nobody's going to remember anything. So Eat, let's en- let's enjoy the good things that exist and make use of creation to the full as in our youth. And Eat, let's, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Yeah, let's take our fill of costly wine and perfumes and let no flower of spring pass us by. That's where I get the hippies. Well, th- this is important because the major theme of the Book of Wisdom is this. Um, there's two ways in the Book of Wisdom. There's the way of foolishness, and then there's the way of wisdom. And we're being encouraged to take the way of wisdom. So... The Book of Wisdom has to lay out what does the way of foolishness look like. Yes. And and I love how the Bible doesn't really pander to us. It really lays out two different worldviews, and it challenges us to say, okay, which one makes more sense? Right, right. And, and, and also seeing how, like, you know, we get to the point and they say, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And then there's this other guy who opposes them. In this action, and it yes. says, and you know what, we're going to lie in wait because you know this is inconvenient, and this yes. opposition we can't and we can't endure the reproaches uh, against our training, as if like you know, like 
which it just sounds like a lot of fallen away Catholics and how I, how, how sometimes I get experienced as a priest is like people are walking along and, and you know how it's like when you're driving on the, on the road and a a cop, you you see a cop and they're driving behind you. And now all of a sudden you're like, what did I do wrong? (laughs) You know, (laughs) always, always. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of how people like, I, I really get two reactions in the world. One of them is like, oh, that's a cop, and he's just here to bust me for all of the stuff that I've done. Or here is one who has the path to heaven, and I want to honor and love him and discover the paths of the Lord in a new and, and interesting way. And like, yes. But we see here in the Wisdom of Solomon that, that there, we see a very clear uh, path into Christ because it says, you know what, let's test him and insult him and torture him, and let's find out how gentle he really is. Let's make a trial of his forbearance and we'll condemn him to a shameful death for according to what he says, he will be protected. Yeah, like they're like, let's see if that's actually true. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's like human experimentation, but in a really kind of twisted way. Well, what's ironic about that, What you, what you, well, not ironic, but I think is fascinating about this. And again, sort of shows the legitimacy of these books and how they actually do have a place in our canon. Um, you know, when they say, like you said, let's see if his words are true. Let's see what will happen if the righteous man is God's son, if he'll deliver him. Let's see if God will save him. That is almost directly repeated in the Gospel of Matthew yes. in chapter 27. Now, I'm just going to read it. It says, so the chief priest, so Matthew clearly is familiar with the wisdom of Solomon. He says, so the chief priests and the scribes and elders, they mocked him saving. He saved others. He cannot save himself. If he is king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. If he, tr- he trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires it. So, I mean, he, they're saying the exact same thing. It's the spirit. I mean, the spirit of these two is just bang on. Yeah. And you can see, like, and you can make that connection. I mean, the, the, the and this is so funny. You know what one of my favorite things is, Scott? No. What is, well, I know what a lot of your favorite things are, but in this case. <laughs> these are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> when people tell Ham this. radios and motorcycles and Jeeps in your garage. And my CNC machine and computer go. fixing. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I really love is when people tell the story of Scripture without directly using the words of Scripture. Ooh. The, Which I, is a very Jewish thing to do. I learned that from Tom Smith. I remember like Tom would sit around and he would tell the story of Scripture, but he wouldn't be directly quoting it, but he knew it so well in his heart that the story came alive out of him, but it was still like, but it was, it was like experiencing oral tradition. I think that's a little bit of what we're trying to do here too, yes. is, to, is to tell the story as we're engaging with this so that then it comes alive, but not necessarily directly quoting it. So you can see how in wisdom, Matthew's, they're, they're using it. The rabbis of the time are using the wisdom literature, but but it's just so informed in their hearts. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's a, it's like Psalm 119. They've actually taken the, the, the words of the scriptures into themselves. It's become a part of them so they can speak to it, speak of it. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So that takes us into the psalm. Actually, I think that really does take us into the psalm. So again, we've been we've been following this theme of the suffering servant. I, I love the wisdom of the church using the wisdom of uh, Solomon. Solomon. <laughs> in that we've been in Isaiah the last however many weeks talking about the suffering servant, all of this imagery of Christ who will suffer. And I love that the church says, but this this lest we think that, okay, here's this kind of random obscure passage which speaks to what happened about Jesus. The church is showing us, look, if we take a broader look, all of scripture is actually speaking of this. It's in there. It's embedded in all sorts of the books of the Bible. So we should have 
seen this coming in a certain sense. You know what I mean? Yes. Again, we've talked about the fact that the Old Testament is like this jigsaw puzzle that we have to assemble where some pieces say, oh, he's going to suffer. Some people say pieces say he's going to be spit on. Some pieces say he's going to be a mighty warrior. Some people say he's going to be a humble servant. You know, which one is it? Well, yes, it's all of them. But this theme of the suffering servant, the suffering just one, does resonate throughout so many pieces of it. It it, it echoes. And that it is a great segue into Psalm 40, uh, 54, which is one of the Psalms of David. And it's believed that this is one of the Psalms that David was perhaps writing or praying, singing, as he is recalling his run from King Saul, as King Saul is pursuing him. So remember, David oh, was ordained by, that. he was already ordained as king. He was told by the prophets that he is the king, God has chosen him, but David patiently waits while evil, terrible King Saul kind of finishes his reign because David knows it's not for me, it's not my place to just step up and slaughter him and take the throne. It's God's timing. God's going to make it clear when this is this is going to happen. So David, who is the ordained king, has to run around in the wilderness and the desert, hiding behind rocks and in caves and all sorts of things, knowing that he is the ordained king, but yet fleeing for his life and being being chased and spat upon and insulted at a constant. Yeah. And so perhaps this is one of the Psalms that he's writing, either in that or reflecting on that, the Lord upholds my life. The Lord upholds my life. Even though I'm being put to shame, I am the king and I'm hiding in a cave for Pete's sake. I am being ruthless. Men seek to kill me. Mm. I know that, oh God, by your name, you will save me. Oh, oh, by your name, save me. It's an imperative. And by your might, defend my cause. Oh God, hear my prayer. Hearken to the words of my mouth. For the haughty men have risen up against me. King Saul specifically, the haughtiest of the haughty. Ruthless seek my life. And they set not God before their eyes because he sets himself. Yeah. The other beautiful thing about Scripture, and we know this, this story of King David, if we understand the context of this psalm, that this is probably David on the run, who is the true king, the just king, on the run from an unjust leader, Mm. you can see, oh, wow, that is a direct precursor to what Jesus is going to do. It's foreshadowing another just, righteous king who is put to death and chased and sought by ruthless leaders who put themselves before their face, not the ways of God. Yeah, gosh, what a what a beautiful bridge between wisdom, the wisdom reading, isn't it? And 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 the the reality of what Jesus is going to talk about about how he has to actually endure this. Exactly that, right. That he understands and he grasps that. And and in the midst of this, you, what you're also trying to say is that 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 King Saul is a hottie. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well played, brother. Ah, come on, dude. It's it's the morning. I've had a cookie, a Red Bull, and some coffee. A cookie? What kind of cookie did you have? A cookie that I made. Okay. Those are good. It, it was a big, crunchy, chewy peanut butter chip, chocolate chip. Yeah, those are good. good I can't things. eat those anymore. So thanks, thanks, man. Um, James is actually an interesting... It fits into this puzzle uh, interestingly because oh. what James does is now take us from the other perspective. So the first reading in the psalm are really putting... Well, no, that's not true. I was about to say that they're putting us in the shoes of the righteous one. The psalm is... The the um, first reading is actually putting us in the shoes of the unrighteous. 
we're we're hearing their we're hearing it from their point of view, right? What their schemes are, which is it, which is interesting. It, it actually it feels like you're sitting at the table with them. It's kind of like Psalm yeah. one. You're listening you're, in. You're you're listening in, and you're like, and you actually have to like decide: Am I going to walk with them, or am I going to walk some other way? And there, yeah, you can picture the scene, like, yeah, right. You know, when people sit around, they get riled up about something. Yeah. Like, yeah, he does stink. Yeah, we should. Yeah, they're like, let's drink some wine. Let's do, you know, like, come on, revelry. Nobody. He's going to be left out of the party. But you can see that happen even when Jesus is crucified. You know, right. It's group think. You know, I mean, everyone's yeah. like, yeah, that is kind of, yeah. I mean, we, yeah, anyway. Yeah. But but then James is showing what that what's actually happening there. So while the first reading is giving us their perspective, James is saying, okay, here's what they're actually doing. He says, beloved, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. And this is what the psalmist called out. He said, no, these people who are seeking both David's life and the life of this just one who is to come, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every foul practice. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits without inconstant, uh, inconstancy or insincerity. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for all who cultivate peace. It is wisdom, again, um, it's a reflection of wisdom, which, remember, was a long reflection on the two ways, the way of foolishness and the way of wisdom. And James is doing the same thing, saying, look, there's two ways you can go here. You can choose either the way of selfish ambition and jealousy and strife, which leads to disorder and all these foul practices. That's the way of foolishness. Right. Or you can choose the way of wisdom, which leads you to life. But the way of wisdom is ironically what seems to the world as the most unwise thing you could do. I mean, this is so mm. much of Paul's letters. Right. To the world, this it seemed foolish. Right. The wisdom of the world could not understand what Jesus did and who he was because he doesn't look wise in the way of the world. Why would you follow this king who is poor and preaches and is itinerant and then appears right. for all the world to be conquered by his enemies? Right. And then when he rises again, for Pete's sake, it's not like he rises again, goes, appears to, to Caesar and to Pontius Pilate and to Caiaphas and is like, look, see you guys, shove it in your face. I'm risen now. Right. That would be kind of cool if he did. Instead, he appears to a couple folks, and then he kind of disappears out of their sight and ascends in heaven. And they're left to be like, no, we have to convince everybody that he actually won, even though the world couldn't see the glory. And that, that is the way of wisdom, because wisdom is not haughty or self-serving or big and self-ambitious, right. which Jesus could have done. He could have risen from the dead. In, he did raise in glory, but he didn't rise in glory and then go up here in a huge ball of light over Jerusalem for everyone to see and say, see everybody? He doesn't do that. Nope. Why not? I mean, don't you kind of want him to have? Wouldn't that make Christianity easier to sell? It, it would, I actually don't think it would have, but, but you'd think it would, right? Well, yeah. I mean, this is an interesting thing that, like, we talk on this, we've talked on this podcast about how sin is actually a lie about our true nature. Yes. So, yeah. so, so like, as we're going through, like, uh, Christian, be who you are. Yeah. And, and, and when we sin, we're actually betraying the being that we have been given. Yes. And so, so the context of, of James, there's, there's a line literally in, in the verse before we start here where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. It says, uh, uh, it says, um, uh, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. This mm. is not the wisdom that's from above. Yes. Um, 
don't tell lies against the truth. The, the reality of, of how Jesus is actually setting this up is that to, to be able to proclaim this, you are to live it. It's actually supposed to be concretely manifested in your life. Right. And that's the only way to actually become true. That's that's right. why we're getting set up in this in right. the first reading of wisdom, saying like, yeah, no, your life actually has to be different. This is a concrete manifestation of existence, not just some sort of intellectual exercise that you can put out there and 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 then say like, oh, look how it's not gnosis. Yes, it, it, right, exactly right. Which, which I think is a pretty sweet transition into the gospel because Jesus is. Yeah, it is. It, Jesus is saying, "This is not something that's just out there. I have to do something." Yeah, I actually have to manifest this in the flesh. Well, y- yeah, which I think is clear in the first reading, right? Yeah, yeah it is. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, but but it's from them. They're gonna they're gonna manifest it in the flesh for him. Oh, okay, okay. Ver- oh, oh, I see the, the I see the shift. And so, here. so what what he's saying is, like, I have to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill me. And well, I'm I'm putting it in the first person. And you when know, he is killed, he will rise. They didn't understand can I, it. Can I can I suggest something Hit in here, me, man? Before like, we fully dive into the gospel, because you're suggesting. What's going to happen to Jesus? Yeah. It's happening because of the people like the ones in the first reading, right, who are self-serving, the ones that James is describing. Okay. But we didn't talk about the second part of the reading from James. And I just I want to propose something. So okay. um, these people, these, these self-serving, haughty people who are going to put Jesus to death ultimately because they do not like him. Well, isn't that what it says in the first reading? He is obnoxious. Let, let, let us beset, beset the just one because he is obnoxious to us. Yes. Or some translations say because he annoys us. So they're annoyed. They're self-serving. But then the second part of the reading from James says, where do the wars and where do the conflicts among you come from? I mean, what happens to Jesus? It is a war within his body. Right. Good and evil. I mean, the, the final battle of good and evil, the final battle of God and the evil one takes place in the flesh and blood of Jesus's body on the cross. Right. That is a war. And so as you're saying something is going to be done to him, he's choosing to move forward to allow something to be done. But I mean, the second part of James, when it says, where do the wars and where do the conflicts among you come from? Yeah, James is talking about actual wars and conflicts, but you can read that as what is going to happen to Jesus. It is from the passions. Uh, that make war within your members. You covet, but do not possess. You kill and envy, but do not obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not possess because you do not ask. You do not. You ask, but do not receive because you ask wrongly and you spend it on your passions. Because of right. all of those things, war is going to rage in Jesus' body. Right. Because those self-serving who are doing all these things will wage war with the Son of God. I mean, think about that way of thinking about the passion. Human beings decided to wage war with the one who created all things. We're going to war with God Mm. and we're going to put him to death. But it's not just putting one, it's not just execution. That's the thing we have to change in our mindset about the crucifixion, the passion. It's not just, okay, this guy is being put to death. No, we are going to war against God. That's what the passion is. It raises this whole question that we don't have time to go into in this podcast, but the fathers of the church often debated, did Jesus have to die or not? Right. Like, was it enough for him to take on human flesh? And we believe it's most appropriate that he died. Right. But we also can't hold that somebody had to be bloodthirsty enough to kill him. Right. That steals human freedom. I mean, James is making it clear. Look, 
we're not supposed to be this way. Right. Nobody is a puppet to this. But be that as it may, Jesus knows it's going to happen. He knows where he's going. So again, we get to the gospel. And and this actually, the gospel picks up immediately after what we saw last week, which was when they're in Caesarea Philippi and Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He gives him the keys to the kingdom. Right. And all of a sudden, he's less... Um, He's less abstract, he's less unclear, he's less veiled about his identity, and he begins to reveal it more and more. He still doesn't want it public yet, but he's beginning to reveal it to them more and more. And so I just, this scene, I, I think, is is stark. Jesus and his disciples, they left there, and the there is Caesarea Philippi. This moment, the turning point of the entire gospel, when Peter confesses Jesus founds a church. That is the turning point of everything. And right. now that Jesus has a church... And someone to actually have the keys, now he can make his way to the cross. But he left there and began a journey toward Galilee, and he I didn't mean, want anybody to know about it. He was teaching his disciples and telling him the Son of Man is to be handed over to men. They will kill him, and three days after the son of, after his death, the Son of Man will rise. But they didn't understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. You know, I, I got to say, I really want to undertake, like, the geography of teaching like i think that'd be a cool i think that that would be a cool book the geography hmm. of, of teaching and what it would be is it would just specifically be a book about why jesus taught where he taught hmm. why he taught where Interesting. he taught that would be cool wouldn't that be a, i think that would just be a really cool thing because because the next thing you know we're now in capernaum which is in, yeah, pretty far away. <laughs> which is pretty far away in the house. Like, like Mark is telling us that he taught this in Galilee for a very, very specific reason. Well, but I, were, I don't know that. They reason. weren't in Galilee yet. They were on the way through Galilee. They oh, I see. From there I see. And passed through Galilee. through Galilee. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Got it. I got it. But then they came to Capernaum. Yeah. So it's like, which means this is a long time. And what Jesus says when they get to Capernaum is that, what were you guys talking about on the way? And the way literally means the the hodos, the road. The, which is interesting. And the, the there's a bunch of um, words in Greek about how to discuss things. And the way the word that was that's being used for um uh f- for the way that they discussed it really means a detailed analysis, an argument that's like detailed. You know, it's like when philosophers start really parsing stuff out, and you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, that is a really intense thing. Which, which is like antebalos, which is where people are just yelling at each other. Yeah. The, 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 this this actually like um what is it? Dilosis logis. Dilogisti. I can't pronounce them. That's okay. <laughs> I just know how to use an interlinear. Linear, linear. And I know how to do it. And then I look up the word by double clicking on it in my verbum software. Notice how I've offended I'm, everyone in the South who's listening to us. Oh, shoot. That's okay. I love they'll, they'll They forgive quickly. I know. That's like, well, uh, that's, um, oh, man. No, we're good. Keep going, keep going. Don't lose your momentum. You're, you're good. Well, you know, I, I just think that it's really interesting that Jesus really lets them parse out the details of it and then brings in the heart. Yeah. I, and then and then says, you know what? Open hearts, open hearts. That's my new term nowadays, by the way. Where, where do they have open hearts, though? They stink. No, they do, but that's where the child is brought into their midst. Oh, yeah. I just, I just want to show the starkness of what just happened, though. Yeah. So Jesus said, I'm going to be handed over. Um, the, the word, by the way, there is perididomi. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, the, the other, u- well, another use of perididomi. So this is in the passive tense. He's going to be handed over. In the suffering servant, in Isaiah, it's in Isaiah 53, he, um, perididomi is used again, but in the active tense. 
he will hand himself over. So what you talked about, he's actually doing something. It's not simply happening to him. He's actually doing something. He will be, he, he, it literally, it's translated often in, in um, Isaiah, he surrendered himself. Right. He chose this. He made a decision. That, that's the thing we have to understand about the passion. It's not simply Jesus passively accepting this. He made a decision to actually give himself, to surrender himself, and to, to deal with what came. Um, that's why, you know, the Catholic understanding of God is not like some of our Protestant friends who just sort of see God as this bloodthirsty God. Okay, there's sin in the world. Somebody's got to pay for it. Somebody's blood has got to be shed. Here, I'll, I'll give my son. He'll die. That's not what salvation is. No. It's the Lord of the universe saying, yeah, there is injustice in the world. There is a brokenness to the cosmos. Somebody, Something's got to be done to set this right because God is a God of order. And it's not that he's bloodthirsty and he demands somebody pu- somebody's got to be punished for this. Somebody's got to pay. He says, no, I want things to be put to right. So I will actively step up myself and give myself. Nobody's forcing me. No God the Father is forcing me to die on the cross. Mm, right. I'm choosing to offer myself so that the world may be put right. But he's saying this so explicitly, he's going to be, and he's going to do this three more times, uh, two more times. There's three explicit times while they're on the, the hodos, the road. It's called the way of the Lord section in the middle of Mark. Three distinct times that he's going to talk about what's going to happen to them, to him. And each of the times, Mark actually makes it clear, like he's not speaking in analogies here. He's not speaking metaphorically. He's saying it clearly. It's not veiled. It's not cryptic. He's saying it flat out. So he's talking about, hey, guys, I mean, imagine going to your best friend and be like, guys, this thing is going to happen and I, I'm going to die soon. And you are my best friends and you're the closest people. So I wanted to share this with you. But, you know, I have this disease and, and something's going to happen. And I'm I'm going to die. And you're like, did you guys hear what I said? And they're like, oh, we were arguing about which one of us is better. What'd you say again? <laughs> I mean, you're just like, well, you guys well, stink. N- not only which one's better, but who's going to inherit everything? Who's going to inherit it? That's what, well, that's where we get, yeah. Because this is the thing is that they just they just actually established a church, and then it's like, yeah. okay, well, then who gets to do what? And it's like they're, they're right. like doing a feeding frenzy, and he's not even dead. It's pretty, it's pretty stark. It is. And the fact that Jesus doesn't just say, you idiot. <laughs> I mean, he stays with them. Here's the thing, though. And and this is, I think, the key to this, because the disciples just don't get it. And they don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit yet. So there's still some sort of a veil over their eyes. But but the key line, I think, when Jesus explains what's going to happen to them, it says, but they did not understand the saying, which, fair enough, they didn't understand. Right. And they were afraid to ask. Mm. I think the biggest spiritual danger in our life comes not when we don't understand, not when we're confused by what's happening, right. not when we don't understand what the church is teaching, yep. but when we either get too prideful or too afraid to ask and say, God, what are you doing? Mm. God, where are you? God, who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? I don't understand. Why does the church teach that? What's Pope Francis mean? What, what's going on when we're either too afraid or, again, worse, too prideful right. to ask that because we're supposed to know better? I know what I'm doing. I mean, people like us, you know, we're leaders in the church, and you're up in the, the pulpit, pulpit every Sunday, you know, every day, and I'm supposed to be a teacher. We're supposed to know this stuff. How possibly could we have to ask and say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, and I don't understand what you're teaching? That takes a lot of humility, well, but yeah. that's what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for full understanding. Right. He's not looking for us to be like, yep, yeah, got it. Okay, bread of life. So I'm going to gnaw on your flesh. Got it. Okay. 
Right. Problem solved. Totally. No, he's saying, just bear with me. Question me. Come after me. Have a relationship with me. Right. Don't be afraid of me. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Yes. And I think that's the operative line in this entire passage. That's when the apostles themselves become like the people in the first reading. They become like the self-serving in James. Ooh, yeah. So when we're reading this, see, this is the trick of these Way readings this week. Yeah. The trick of these readings is that you're tempted to read through all of these readings and be like, yeah, it's all those bad guys out there. It's the unrighteous. It's the wicked. It's the people over there. It's you. It's the people over there on the TV. It's the, it's the people who crucified Jesus. It's, it's those people that the readings are talking about. But then you get to the gospel and you're like, oh, shoot. It's the followers of Jesus. Mm. They're the ones that all of these readings have been building up to. Because in the gospel reading, you don't see the scribes and the Pharisees. You don't see the religious leaders. They don't show up. The only people being self-serving and haughty are the closest friends of Jesus. And that should be the accusation to us. Because we even did it, and I kind of set us up for this in the podcast. We built up all the readings and be like, yeah, it's them, those guys. Look at what happened to them. Look at what they did. But then you get to the gospel and they're nowhere to be seen. All it is is us. Mm. And that's the, that's the trick of the faith because the, the, especially in the culture that we live in, right. all we want to do is look out there and be like, man, those guys are ripping apart the church. Those guys are the culture of death. They're doing this. They're terrible. But then you get to the true faith. And if you read the gospels carefully, it's always internal. It's always us. And Jesus is always saying, look, it's not them. It's your own hearts that are the problem. Mm. And your hearts are what are corrupt. Your hearts are what are self-serving. You need to convert them. And then we can make some progress. And to the degree that all you see is the people out there that are out to get you. And you know what? The story of the church is there's always going to be somebody out there out to get us. That's how the church works. People want to be out to get us. Fine. Fair enough. That's how the church works. If you're a Catholic, then you should be ready for that. And, and that's just and, the way that life works. And it's never going to be different. And it's never going to be different. And just suck it up and, and understand that. But what you have the power to deal with is the corruption, the self-servingness in your own heart. Yes. And that's the message of these readings, I think, fundamentally. Oh, man. Well played. Holy cow. <laughs> and then, but Jesus hasn't ended on that negative no. I mean, that's the thing about this. He doesn't say, what idiots you are, what fools, or how dare you. He says, no, 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 come and take a look at this. And he gets a child and he puts it into their midst. And he's like, you have to be like that. Well, and, that, and that's where I'm. But get... he gives them the positive, not the negative. He doesn't right. say, stop doing that. He says, no, do this. Go he, this way. And actually, the, the word that it it says is he actually embraced the child. He gave him a big hug. He gave him a hug. Which is, is actually really. <laughs> it's actually really sweet. And, and there's nothing more beautiful. I remember um, there was uh, there was somebody who came up to me when I was at Immaculate Heart of Mary. And, uh, I, and I just smile at the kids when they come up. And I and they just said, I wish you would smile at me like you smiled at the children. Oh, I, I know. And, oh. I, and it was like, oh, I don't. Geez. And then and then and then that's actually the one of the things is I put oh. in my heart is I was like, oh, no, these wow. are all children of God. Yeah. And and it gave me a beautiful opportunity to be able wow. to say to to embrace as Christ embraces wow. the, the ones that, that he's around and he sees them with purity. And that's where we get back to wisdom or uh, to James. Wisdom is above all pure. It wow. sees like a, a child sees as a child and says, oh, my gosh, the beauty and the goodness and the innocence. And, yeah. and that's what I mean by open hearts, open hearts. Wow. See that child's open heart of embrace, embracing the Lord yeah. and just saying like, oh, I'm not, you know, really not a, like constraints, but just saying like, yes. I'm going to do that. Then everybody's like, 
oh yeah, the, I want that. Yes, right. I want they to, recognize it. They they totally recognize it, and yeah. and then and so then mm. then they're confronted with like it's it, it's sometimes talked about at the end of time that what'll mm. happen is that we will come before Christ. Yeah. And we will judge ourselves because of the purity in which we oh, experience. That's the worst for people like me. <laughs> that <laughs> that's like the worst fear. I know, me too, Oy. dude. So that's like that's just beautiful. So we actually have to repent, like we actually yeah. think about our lives and to to consider them and to come back out of the 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 stuff that's that's gotten to us um, that that makes us want to to get detailed about how awesome we are and manifest and be vain and prideful. That's it. And on that happy note of pridefulness and vanity. <laughs> we love but you hope. guys. Hope, we do love you. Hope. Hope will never disappoint. Yes. Um, you guys are the best. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Don't fake the funk. Don't fake the funk. And we will see you then. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.